Those are uh, some alarming statistics, aren't they? And, and depending on what your background looks like, depending on maybe the environment that you grew up in, uh, you could certainly be thinking right now, like, is that right? <laughs> are those figures actually somehow correct? Uh, believe it or not, it, it actually gets worse. I have uh, some additional stats I'd kind of like to share with you right now. 12% uh, now of the websites on the internet are now pornographic. And when you think about the endless amounts of content uh, that we have online, you think that 12% of that represents pornographic material, pretty alarming. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to pornography websites. They regularly go there at least one time a week. In the United States, internet porn pulls in $2.84 billion, with a B, billion dollars every single year. 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic. Think about that. 35% of all content that is consumed from the internet that's downloaded to a person's computer is pornographic. The average age of someone first exposed to pornography now is an alarming 11 years old. It's crazy. Uh, more than 4 in 10 Americans, 43%, now say that pornography is morally acceptable, which also represents a 7% jump from just last year alone, which, which would say, if these trends continue, that by next year, half the people in our, in our world would just say, well, it's just kind of okay. Uh, porn sites, this one was particularly alarming. Porn sites get more visitors every single month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Uh, and the most popular day of the week threw this one in there because it made me feel really great. The most popular day of the week to view porn is Sunday. That's awesome. Uh, and one of the more alarming trends that we are seeing now here in our society is that this is becoming more and more by the day, not just an issue for men. But increasingly, more often, it's becoming an issue for women as well. I've spoken on this topic several times over the last uh, couple of years. And just as recently as like five, six, seven years ago, when you would speak on a, on, a, on a topic like this, immediately about half the room could just tune you out. Because all the women were like, this, this, this isn't a me issue. Nobody, you know, in, in, in our demographic, nobody actually struggles with these things. But as that video said, I don't know if you caught that, but one in three viewers of pornography are now women. It's only gotten more accessible and it's increasingly finding itself in front of more and more people at a younger and younger age. And as the end of that video pointed out, so often when it comes to this topic, our, 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 our mentality and our reaction can be to just kind of dig our heads into the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist, which if I'm being honest, I totally get because it's kind of an uncomfortable topic to discuss. In fact, some of you are thinking, you know, of all the days to show up to church, I kind of wish I would have taken this Sunday off. I really should have gone to Florida. If this is your first time with us, you're really thinking like, wow, I picked a heck of a Sunday to come rolling through these doors. Some of you, again, might be looking at these statistics thinking like, again, is that right? I would challenge you to do the research for your yourself. This isn't conjecture. I mean, these are kind of cold, hard facts. In fact, as I was researching for this Sunday and putting this talk together, I literally was like getting sick to my stomach. It was making me physically ill. It's such a complex, it's such a prevalent issue that it becomes extraordinarily difficult to try to figure out even where to start. It's, it's overwhelming. But just because a topic, don't miss this, just because a topic is overwhelming, just because a, 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 topic is, a topic is uncomfortable is a horrendous excuse to ignore it. It's a terrible excuse to just sweep it under the rug. In fact, the problems we are most tempted to ignore are the issues that are most deserving of our attention. The very things that you are most tempted to sweep under the rug, the very things in your life that you are most tempted to just kind of ignore and look aside to are the very things that are most deserving of our attention. 
I'll be really, really vulnerable and, and give an example from, from my own life. Uh, my wife and I, leading up to our, our wedding date, we went to premarital counseling. That's something that if, if you are engaged, you really should get involved in premarital counseling. In fact, if people ask me to marry them, I won't even consider marrying them unless they will commit to going to premarital counseling. That's not a sign that necessarily something is going wrong. In fact, it's actually a sign of maturity and humility and, and, and be willing to get in front of somebody that's going to kind of force you to discuss topics that you otherwise uh, might not necessarily be thinking of. And uh, leading up to our wedding, my wife and I were going to counseling, uh, and we literally left no rock unturned. I mean, in that counseling, we discussed like all different sorts of topics, but we knew the day that it was going to be coming up. We knew the particular session where, where the whole topic of sexuality and sex and expectations and our past, like all those things were going to kind of surface. Uh, and I'll never forget this. I remember looking uh, at my now bride and saying, hey, we're not going to tell the truth about this. We are, we are not going to tell what, exactly what has happened in our pasts. And, and, and we kind of made this agreement that that was none of anybody else's business. And, and I remember going to that session and just lying through my teeth. And we painted this picture that we were this perfect couple before marriage, that we were this perfect couple, you know, prior to meeting each other. And we went on with the rest of counseling. And be honest, it was really, really beneficial. And like I said, we discussed virtually every other topic under the sun. And I could look at all of you and say, we were truthful in every other area. But wouldn't you know it, the very topic that needed to be addressed the most was the one that I looked at my wife and said, we're not talking about that. I, I think my wife and I have a pretty healthy marriage. And I, I can tell you that early on in our marriage, the source, like truthfully, the source of our, our, of our conflicts lied in that fact. And it wasn't until we started to have healthy dialogue and healthy conversation, and we started to seek coaching with those mistakes that we had made in our past, that we began to see those problems dissipate. The very things that we are most tempted to ignore, that we are most tempted to sweep under the rug, are the things that are most deserving of our attention. And so if the majority of the people, in fact, every single one of you has been touched by what we're going to be discussing today. If the majority of us have struggled with this in some way or another, we probably ought to talk about it. And this is obviously not an issue for just non-Christians. It's not like upon accepting Jesus into your life and upon making that decision to follow Jesus that these, these issues suddenly disappear. In fact, a lot of data would actually suggest that for Christians, it's actually worse which is, as, as I have said throughout this series, the primary reason that we're doing this series and the primary reason we're just kind of okay with everybody being uncomfortable right now. You can just kind of take a deep breath and be like, oh, the people around me are feeling the exact same way. This stuff is so incredibly applicable to every single one of our lives. This isn't just Christian-y stuff. This isn't just churchy stuff. This is human being applies to everyone's stuff. This stuff is so incredibly applicable to our lives. Even if you never, and I've been saying this throughout the series, even if you never decide to actually put your faith in Jesus, even if you never decide to embrace the things that we are talking about here on Sunday mornings, you would be wise to implement what we are talking about this morning into your life because undeniably it will make your life better and it will make you better at life. Which by the way, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, you're just kind of exploring Christianity and what it means to actually follow God. Is there even a God out there? This is what following Jesus is all about. If your understanding of Christianity is one of rules and restrictions and kind of keeping you from really experiencing life, then you have the wrong version of Christianity. In fact, you don't even have Christianity. You have something else, but it's not Christianity. If your version of Christianity is not one that's characterized by freedom and love, then you are doing it wrong. 
And because of how incredibly applicable this stuff is that we've been talking about throughout this series, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, whether you're young, you're old, we've really, really been encouraging you to stay plugged in with us throughout this whole series. So if you have missed any of the first four weeks of this series, I'd really encourage you to go to grumlaw.com messages. Get yourself caught up there. You can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you happen to grab your podcast. Grab onto this content because again, if you implement this stuff into your life, it will undeniably make your life better. But as we've been talking about throughout the series, why would we, why would any of us do things that are not good for us and certainly not best for the people around us? Why don't we always do the things that we know we probably ought to do? And why don't we not do the things that we know we probably ought not to do? Why would any of us hold on to things that are holding us back? And I cannot think, I can't think of a situation where this question better applies to our lives than when it comes to the topic that we're talking about today, than when it comes to our sexuality, which is ultimately what is at the heart of today's topic. Because see, this isn't a pornography issue. That's just one way, mind you, a very, very prevalent way, but just one way that our sexual depravity happens to manifest itself. And if you've been paying attention throughout the series, you probably know what's coming next. Because if you haven't noticed, this is kind of a theme throughout this series, that this is not a new issue for people. This isn't like a 21st century American problem. Now granted, people thousands of years ago did not have the easy everywhere access to sexual content that we now have today, that with a simple touch of your thumb, you can pull up anything that you really want to see, anything that you want to view. But make no mistake about it, the people that were walking around the earth thousands of years ago were every bit as sexual beings as we are today. In fact, we're gonna jump into a letter today that's written by the guy by the, that goes by the name of Paul. Now, Paul is this guy that was basically responsible for spreading the name of Jesus all around the ancient Mediterranean uh, world. In fact, he's the reason that all of us sitting here today actually know who Jesus is. And Paul, in, in, what he would do is he would write these letters to these early Christian churches uh, all throughout the first century. And one of the letters he wrote was to these people that were residing in an area called Thessalonica. Thessalonica would sit in present-day Greece. And in this letter to the Thessalonians, Um, he addresses this topic of sexuality. And and he talks to these Christians living in this ancient Mediterranean world that that were arguably living, believe it or not, in a more sexually tempting time than we are today. I want to give you some evidence that would lead me to actually think that. Prostitution back at this point in history was not only legal, but in most circles it was 100% acceptable. In fact, males were encouraged to have extramarital affairs. Women, sorry about you, a bit of a double standard going on there. They actually would build monuments. You can look this stuff up for yourself. They would build monuments of the male genitalia. I have some pictures I'd like to show you of that. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to show you pictures of that. Rape went unpunished. The children of peers were given to one another for sexual exploitation. As far-fetched as it maybe seems, it was arguably worse than what we have going on today in our modern Western world. And it's in this context that Paul decides to address this topic of sexuality head on and the human inclination to wander away as we have all experienced from what is best for us. And he begins to wrap up this letter that he's writing to the Thessalonians. And I want you to keep in mind, he could have spoken about anything. It's a short letter. It's only five chapters long. He could have went down any path. It wasn't like he covered every topic under the sun, but look where he goes. It says here in 1 Thessalonians, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you, we urge you. I mean, you can feel him kind of like leaping through the page. He's begging them. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. Now, depending on where you're at, 
on this whole faith journey, uh, you might frankly care less about, as it says there, living in a way that pleases God. But, but here's what I know about every single one of us. Christian or not, you do care about living in a way that pleases the people that you are closest to. You all care, for all you married people out here in particular, you care about living in a way that pleases your spouse. For you engaged people, you care about living in a way that pleases your fiance. For those of you that are in a relationship, you care about living in a way that pleases your boyfriend, that pleases your girlfriend. Because of what I do for a living as, as a pastor, uh, I have the honor and the, the opportunity to sit in, uh, across the table, across the living room, across an office from a lot of different people that, that, that want to get married. A lot of people that are like excited about this next stage of their life. And, and I have sat across these tables, I have sat across these rooms from so many young couples, typically with tears in their eyes, bawling, talking about the mistakes that they made in their pasts talking about the addictions they grappled with, talking about the, 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 the things that they did with other people. Nobody ever looks back on those memories favorably. They're angry in some cases, they're frustrated, but typically it's one of remorse and regret. And if I'm honest, it's not usually, they're not usually feeling that deep-seated regret because of how they have hurt God. It's because of how they have hurt that person that is sitting next to them. And even if you're at a place right now in your life where you're not married, in fact, you don't really have any even prospects on the horizon. It's just kind of like, we hope someday, particularly you high schoolers in the room. Chances are, just about every single one of you, you probably want to find that significant other at some point in your life. It is so rare. In fact, as I was preparing for this, I was really racking my brain. I couldn't think of a single person that had ever communicated to me that at some day they didn't want to get married. Every person seems to want that. It's the same thing that seems to be wired into every single one of us, our longing for companionship, our longing for kinship with that one other person. And it's for that reason that everybody ought to pay attention on this because this is a glaring example of a time where God's interests, or as it says here in that verse, living in a way that pleases God, where God's interests and your interests happen to collide where they happen to be very much on the same page. Just because you are not a Christian does not mean that you should ignore the teachings of Jesus. See, th this piece of scripture could just as easily read. Go to the next one there. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of your spouse, present, whether you're presently married or maybe your, your spouse is floating around somewhere out in the world right now. We urge you in the name of your spouse to live in a way that honors him that honors her as we have taught you. Because regardless of which way you read that, if you're a Jesus follower and you read it as living in a way that pleases God, or you're not a Jesus follower and you read it as living in a way that honors your spouse, future or present, you end up at the exact same place. Christians, you can't live in a way that pleases God. Everybody else, you can't live in a way that pleases, that honors your spouse and look at porn or flirt with your, with your coworkers, or cheat on your spouse, or sleep with him, or sleep with her, or pressure her sexually, or push on her what you saw in a video, or talk about him, or talk about her in that way. Those things are incompatible. He continues. He says, God's will, 
God's will is for you to be holy. Other translations will read here, God's will is that you would be sanctified. No matter how far you may feel from God this morning, even those of you that are still wrestling with whether or not God even exists, your creator's desire is that you would be holy, that you would be sanctified. Now you might be looking at those words going, okay, what in the heck does that actually mean? These are kind of churchy, fancy ways of, ways of saying that his desire is that you would be set apart, that you would be different, that you would be devoted, you would be blessed, you would be free, you would be free from what comes so incredibly natural to us, set apart from what comes so easy and what seems so acceptable in our world. See, if you haven't figured this out, by this point in your life, I think you probably soon will, and I say these kind of things all the time, and they sound so drastic, and they sound so honestly kind of offensive on the front end, but I think you guys can be honest with yourself enough to know that this is the case. You don't have your best interest in mind. You don't. Think about it. We do things all the time where almost immediately after doing that thing, you're looking yourself in the mirror going, you idiot! What in the heck did you do that for? It's kind of the premise for this entire series. When we do what comes naturally to us, it almost exclusively leads to regret. And before you get too defensive and think, well, no, that's, that, that's just like a you problem. There must be something wrong with you. I would challenge you to reflect on your own life. And we'll keep it in the arena of sexuality since that's kind of the topic of our conversation this morning. But this applies to every area of our lives. Think about it. Don't most, don't most of your sexual desires stand in stark contrast to what is best for you, your marriage, and your relationship with God. And again, some of you, you might care less about this last part. So just take the first two parts. Most of your sexual desires stand in stark contrast to what is best for you and your marriage and your relationship with God. See, if it was up to my desires, and I don't think I'm alone on this. In fact, most of the men in the room, I think, would probably agree with this, but I won't throw you under the bus. I'll throw myself under the bus. If it was up to me, if it was up to what I wanted, if it was up to my desires, I would look at porn all the time. I would look at it every single day, multiple times a day. Whenever I had a sexual urge, I would pull that stuff up on my phone and I would look at it. What comes natural to me, looking at pornography, stands in utter and complete contrast to what is best for me, my marriage, and my relationship with God. And this is not Christian conjecture. This is a fact at this point. Let me give you just some of the evidence of this. When one party in a marriage, listen to this stuff, when one party in a marriage begins viewing pornography in marriage, their chances of divorce double, double. Study after study after study has now shown that watching even regular nonviolent porn is correlated with the viewer being more likely to use verbal coercion, drugs, and alcohol to push their sexual partner into sex. We now have a plethora of data to show that pornography lowers sexual satisfaction in marriage and is a leading factor in infidelity. The more pornography, in fact, that one consumes, the more lonely they feel. You, you want to get really, really practical? Countless studies now show that regularly viewing pornography is a leading cause of erectile dysfunction. There's a reason you got to sit through so many of those brutal freaking commercials with your mom sitting next to you. You're like, my goodness, how many ED drugs do we need at this point? <laughs> Porn is now being considered the most widespread addiction in America topping alcohol, drugs, and nicotine. And if you think that that sounds dramatic, that, that you can be addicted to porn, look at the psychological effects of this stuff. 
I did. I did like a deep dive this week. It triggers the exact same chemical reactions in your brain as does hardcore drugs and alcohol. So in conclusion, if I was to just roll what comes naturally to me, it would not be what is best for me. Love gives and lust takes. Love 100% of the time will ask, okay, what is not necessarily just best for me in this moment, but what is best for her? What is best for him? Love is forward thinking. It doesn't seek like lust to satisfy that quick, that urgent desire. Lust will always take. It will steal from your relationships and not just with your spouse, but from your kids, from the people around you. Love will always give and lust will always take, but, and this is a great but, God wants, wouldn't you know it, what is best for you. And this is for everyone. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, he knows what going down that sexual path will lead to, and he is trying to keep you from that. God knows, which we have all actually experienced in our own lives, that sexual sin is unique in that regard, that all sin absolutely affects us negatively, but no other sin has such a disastrous effect on our thoughts and our behaviors and our futures as does sexual sin, that it is difficult, nearly impossible to heal from the sexual wounds that we create for ourselves. And how incredible is it? that your creator is so for you that he loves you enough to give you a heads up about this stuff and cares enough about you to try to point you in a different direction, but not just a different direction, in a better direction. I, I think it's pretty great that God's desire for your life is that you would be holy that he doesn't want you to be buried underneath guilt. He doesn't want you to be buried underneath regret, that he offers us something not just different, but far better. And I would challenge you this morning that, that, that rather than getting defensive, rather than being passive, rather, rather than looking to the left or the right and thinking, okay, this is a somebody else problem, how about you be honest with at least you and see your sexual sin for what it is? Because the truth is, I didn't, Paul didn't, God did not need to really point this out to you. You know the disastrous effects that sexual sin can have because you have either experienced it firsthand or someone who is very close to you has had their entire world flipped upside down because of it. He continues, he says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all, stay away from all sexual sin. God's will is that you would be different, that you would not just succumb to sin, that you wouldn't just accept it, that we wouldn't normalize it because everybody else around us seems to struggle with it, that we wouldn't just be tempted to sweep it under the rug because it's an everyone issue. His will for your life is that you would be set apart. And the best example, think about this, the best example that Paul could think of, the most common thing that he would cite that would get in the way of you being holy, of you being set apart, the most common thing that would stand in the way of you living your most purpose-filled, rich, inspired life is sexual sin. He could have warned us about anything. 
He could have warned the Thessalonians about anything. It's a short letter. It's only five chapters long. It's not like he addresses every sin that we all experience in life, but he chose this, and it's a theme for him. If you look throughout his letters, he continues to bring this up. It's like he's saying, if you can master this, you can master anything. And I think most of us would agree with, uh, agree with Paul on that point. Because Data would say, and gosh, this is crazy to look at all of you and think about this, but conservative Data would say that 50% of the people sitting in this room are struggling with pornography in some level. And again, that is just one facet of sexual sin. And as hard as you have maybe tried to conquer this on your own, chances are you keep coming up short. And if you could just get that one thing out of your life, can you even imagine the freedom that you would feel? I, I bet you might just feel like anything is conquerable. Then each of you, he says, if you can get that right, then each of you will control, and it's a key word there, control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. If you can get that under control, it'll be a whole lot easier to live that holy, that set apart life. Now, obviously, as we wrap things up here this morning, it is your choice to reject all this, to stand defiantly, not only in the face of God, but at this point, just raw scientific data. But Paul tells us, and he says this pretty harshly, so don't get mad at me, get mad at Paul, that if you're living like that, you're living like a pagan. Now, for the two or three that don't know what a pagan is, a pagan does not think that God exists, which means that God doesn't know. And it means that God definitely doesn't care. He doesn't know about your sexual misgivings. He doesn't know about those sexual temptations. And he definitely does not care about them. Paul is expressing in quite blunt terms that the only reasonable explanation to continue living in your sexual sin is because you just must be ignorant of the solution. That God's out there and he's wanting to help you, but you truly just have no idea because it would take a special kind of stupid to know that there is a way out of this, but yet continue to keep living in sin. And I've said this many, many times before, that this represents a seminal moment in every single one of your lives. When you try to figure this out, when you try to wrestle to the ground, okay, is God out there? Does he exist? And if he, if he does exist, does he know? Does he care? And when you start to recognize that as truth, that there's a God out there, and he absolutely knows, and he absolutely cares, then and only then will you begin to experience freedom from these sins that seem to so easily beset us. And as you begin to rely on him, you see that a life of holiness, that a life of honor, it's possible. It's not just this pipe dream that we talk about here on Sunday mornings. Well, let me ask you something. Do you think that God knows about your proclivity to, to, to click on those images? Do, do you think he knows about how hard it is for, for you to divert your eyes and not start going down that path and thinking about her or thinking about him in that way? Do, do you think he knows about your sexual temptations? Now, if you find yourself 
in response to those questions saying no, then good luck to you. I mean, honestly, you're going to continue to wrestle with this for the rest of your life. It's going to be this roller coaster of up and down. You feel like you conquered and you're right back down in the depths again. But if you find yourself leaning towards yes, then you have to stop feeding yourself the lie that you are going to eventually figure this out on your own. And you need to put your trust in him. The God that loves you so much, the God that thinks so highly of you, the God that wants to see you restored so badly that he sent his one and his only son to die for you. He continues, he says, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but flat out is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He doubles down. Believe it or not, you do not need to continue to live as a slave to your earthly passions. And by rejecting that truth, you are indeed rejecting God. See, as we've talked about throughout the series, these sins are next to impossible to conquer on our own. It's in fact why they are so incredibly commonplace. It's why so many people deal with them. Because so many people have figured out, as I have figured out in my own life, that when you try to solve this stuff on your own, you always come up short. And in turn, we just make excuses for it. It's why we say things like, well, okay, that's just who they are. That's just kind of their demon. That's just kind of kind of be who they're gonna be. But I'm telling you, and Paul teaches us, and more importantly, Jesus demonstrates to us and teaches us that don't settle for ordinary and acceptable when there is something holy and better. And you know what? It, it, it's entirely possible, maybe. Maybe I'm living in a bubble, but yet I have yet in my life to meet the couple. I have yet to meet the person that looks back on their sexual exploits that, that, that looks back on what came so naturally to them, the partners, the pornography, the experimenting. I have never met the person that looks back on that stuff favorably. I, I have never sat across the table from a couple that looks at me and says, you know, I'm just really glad that I fooled around with him. It's been great for my marriage. I, I'm really glad that I started looking at pornography. It's been great for my family. It's been great for me. I mean, we're just really reaping the benefits of that. And similarly, Christian or not, I have yet to meet the person that gives this stuff up to God, that moves away from impure, that moves away from natural, and instead moves towards holy and better, that in turn regrets it. Because wouldn't you know it, God wants what is best for you. He is for you to an extent that we will never be able to fully comprehend. He sent his one and his only son to die for you. He wants what is best for you. And I don't know if there's anywhere that that rings more true than when it comes to our sexuality. 